0: kind of fitting that we're just singing a song about the holiness of God. Not only are we teaching one of our Sunday school classes about the holiness of God, but we're going to be also talking a little bit about the holiness of God today. Before I do that, I think that it's fitting since there are so many parents sitting in the room today as we see so many of our children um, and we have so many youth in our church. One of the things is as school is getting ready to start, Something that I want to really share with you, Um, it's really easy for our kids, um, and if you're a kid, it's really easy for you to get caught up in um, all the extras that school has to offer. Um, I read a statistic once, and it said um, that any kid, I remember when I was growing up, I wanted to be a, a professional football player. Uh, that didn't happen and I wanted to be if it wasn't that uh, I I, you know so I had all these these accolades to to do that Um, and so that a child has a a 0.0297 percent chance of becoming a professional athlete 0.0297 not even a one percent chance but they have a 100 percent chance of standing before God Almighty so I need you guys to hear that. Um, you know, I love that my, my, my kids do play sports, um, but one of those things that we always have to make sure that, that God stays in a proper place, he's number one, and everything comes after that. I don't know if you know this, but 75% of teenagers from the age of 16 to 25, 70% or 75% drop out of church during that stage of life. And they often say, "Well, why did this 75 leave?" But they did a great statistic of why did the 25 stay? And out of there was five major reasons that they kept seeing circulate between the 25% of youth that stay in church. Two of the five had to do with their parents going to church, serving in the church, and having dinner at home so here's i don't remember all of them uh, i wasn't planning on saying this but you know that's kind of what happens with squirrels so the one of them was that that at least one time a week they ate as a family around a table that was one of the the, the, the commonalities between this 25 percent of kids that stick in church that that some point during the week they have a spiritual experience in their home like with their family whether the Parents are sitting down and having a devotional time with them, or they're sitting around discussing maybe the service afterwards. Um, One of them was that that they they found a place to serve within the church, a teenager. And with that being said, we had most of our youth group here helping through VBS this entire week, so that is a huge thing. Not only do we have a bunch of youth, but we had a bunch of adults. I think we had over 40 people, youth and adults, helping this whole week um, to, to, to make that happen. But um, but it was interesting to see that the family was so, the parents were so impactful on the kids sticking with church after the age of 16. Parents, you're the key. A youth minister can't make the kids keep coming. a, a, A church, no matter how great its worship is or how great its preaching is or any of these things, you have a greater impact on your kids' lives than I do or Pastor Paul or the worship team or anyone else. You are their parents. They need to see God in you and why it's so important, and then they will continue to worship long after. So today, guys, we're in the Victim to Victor series. This whole month, we've been focusing on going from being a victim all the way to being a victor. What does that look like, right? So um, today, we're going to have the, the title is this, Know God, Know Thyself. Today is about discovering our identity in God rather than in our own insecurities. So um, I did this for my daughter, partially the, the, the picture here is for, for my daughter. She goes, did you really put, what was it, Elsie? Is that Elsa? Is that Elsa? I just I didn't even know. I was just like, I just needed a before and after picture, and I guess I did something right. So... Um, but here's the deal, is before we start talking about our identity, one of the things that we really need to do is, is understand our emotions and our feelings, right? Um, most guys don't like to talk about emotions and feelings, and, and usually that's a, a big topic in, among the, the ladies. Um, so here's the thing, i got to be careful there because I'm making sure I know where my exits are, but um, feelings are powerful, all right? Feelings are not bad, Okay. Your, your Your emotions are natural and they're wonderful um, they're a part of life in fact, they add color to our world that 's why this picture's here. black and white is not as color like color just does something and and that's what our emotions do. Your emotions add color to life sometimes there's a little bit of extra too much red in there you know the the, the anger part of it you know so if we were going to put a, a color to it um, but world the our life is a lot better with emotion than without and, and you know I know that some husbands are like, yeah, speak for yourself, sir, you know what i mean but but here's here 's the deal is um is, does any husbands out there have a fiery one on their hands? Not that are will okay, only one's willing to admit it. see you on the couch, buddy, see you on the couch i was like angie i can 't believe you didn't have like three arm you know like every arm and but here 's the thing is is it 's the other way around there but um so so, so here's the deal, though, is I, I started thinking, you know, man, what would life be like without that little fire and spice? I mean, man, if there was no emotions, even though the over-emotions aren't great, but can you imagine what life would be without emotion? Think about that for just a moment. What would it be like? Because sometimes we're like, man, I wish she was less emotional. Think about if she didn't have any emotion. That would be terrible. I'd rather have a little bit of fireworks from time to time than dull. Right? I hope so. Maybe I'm the only one. Everybody's like, I am not, I'm checking out of this sermon right now. Um, but here's something else that I want you to guys to know about, um, about worship or about emotions. Without emotions, there's no worship. You can't worship God without emotions. Now, On the other side of that, if you're only emotion, you're not worshiping either. I mean, there has to be a balance in there. But if you don't have any emotions, how can you express love if there's no emotion involved? We can go to a point where we're only emotional, and that's not healthy either. But, man, God created us in his image, right? So if he created us in his image, God expressed emotions at multiple times throughout the Bible, And a part of our image of him is that we have emotions, too. We have emotions and we express our emotions. Granted that God does it a lot better than we do. His is perfect. (laughs) Right? So, all right. So here's the thing. There we go. I was like, we didn't change over here. So your feelings will often, here's the thing about your feelings, though. Your feelings often determine how, all right, how you interact with, with people, how uh, much money you spend. Sometimes when we're in a really good mood, we maybe shouldn't have the checkbook in our hand, right? (laughs) Man, I feel really good today. Let's go shopping, you know. So, um, But a lot of your feelings will determine how you interact with people, how much money you spend, how you deal with the changes um, and challenges of life, how you spend your time. Your emotions are involved in just about every part of your life. And and we need to learn how to deal with our emotions or your emotions will deal with you. So we need to have control in our life. But here's the other thing is a lot of people, especially men, like to suppress their emotions. Just shove them down real deep down inside and then one day um, they just explode like crazy. None of you guys ever done that, right? I mean, there's a lot of times people like to suppress it And push it down and push it down. Here's the deal when you don't deal with your emotions well, you will go to unhealthy coping skills alcohol, drugs, video games, like that. Video games and Facebook, sometimes that would be called fantasy. What we do often when we can't cope with things, we check out in the fantasy world. So maybe that's where you watch YouTube videos for hours or you get lost in a TV show series or you play video games, but these are all different coping skills, and food is another coping skill. We have all different kinds of coping because we haven't learned how to deal with our emotions. So our emotions are getting out of control, we don't know what to do, so we withdraw, we get drunk, we do drugs, we do something unhealthy to try to figure out how to mask our emotions or let our emotions out. So, you might be saying, Pastor, what does this have? What do the feelings have to do with my identity? A lot more than you're aware of. Our emotions have a lot to do with our identity. Um, Most of our identity is developed in these four areas things I love about myself, things I hate about myself, how I think other people feel about me and my insecurities. Think about that. How, what, 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 do I, what, do I, what feelings do I like about myself? What feelings do I have that I don't like about myself? How I think other people feel about me and my insecurities. That makes up most people's identity. This is not biblical. This isn't how it should be, but this is what we often do. This is where many of us Many of us live in this place. Well, insecurity, by definition, is this. It is a feeling. Insecurity is a feeling. And guess what? Every one of us have insecurities. You may not um, have a, a major insecurities, but we all deal with insecurity because insecurity deals with inadequacy, not feeling like we're good enough, uncertainty. Here's the deal. I've asked this many times, how many people felt, have felt like in their life that they weren't good enough? That's insecurity. Many of us have a fear. How many of you men in this room, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick on you because usually I, you know, I, I want to even this out so that none of the ladies feel like I'm always picking on them. I would rather pick on the guys anyways. Um, how many of you men have a fear of failure? I'm so afraid of failure. I don't want to fail. That's insecurity. Fear of failure is insecurity. I just wanted to make sure that the men didn't think, well, he's talking about the ladies today. I'm not talking about the ladies. I'm talking about everybody. Everyone deals with insecurity. And the problem is is that so often we hold on to the insecurity, and then we put our identity on top of insecurity as a foundation. We feel insecure of how we look, what we have, what we don't have, where we work, where we don't work. And here's the deal, as we go, um, we don't feel like we're good enough, we feel like we're unworthy, that list goes on and on and on. And here's the reality is all of those things, I don't feel good enough, I have a fear of failure, I feel like I'm inadequate, all of these things revolve around um, expressions, expressions of insecurity. But the root of insecurity is when we build our, our identity on an insecure foundation. See, a lot of times we express, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I feel like I'm inadequate. And I can't tell you how many times we've, we've had like evangelism classes, right? We've had these evangelism classes and then all of a sudden, we're like, I don't feel like I'm adequate to do this. Well, that's an insecurity. And so often we pile these insecurities and we put them down there and we allow them to make the foundation in which our identity is stacked on top of. And then we wonder why our life doesn't really um, work right. Okay? Because your identity will impact everything that you do in your life. How you view yourself will impact how you think about others, how you feel about yourself, and how you feel about God. It, it, it affects everything. And there's going to be some people who say, well, I'm not insecure. Okay? Good. I'm, I'm glad. I hope so. Because... Some of us will even go and say, my identity is secure in Christ, right? How many of you would say, hey, I know that I am secure in Christ? Like, right, right? Most of us would say, I know I'm secure in Christ. I know. How many of you would say you know what God has even said about you, right? I mean, how many of you know that the Bible says that you were chosen, right? How many of you also would know that it says that I'm a child of God? All right, John 15 says that I am a friend. I'm a friend of God, right? We know these things, right? How many of you know Psalm 139, which we're going to study today, says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made? How many of you know that? God made you. So here's the deal. Most of us sitting in this room know a lot of these things. So then where in the world and how in the world does insecurity come into our life? If I know that I'm a child of God, how then am I afraid to fail? If I know that I'm a friend of God, then how do I walk around feeling rejected and unworthy and unwanted? And yet we do, don't we? Because I want you to see something. Knowledge and belief are not the same thing as faith. You know God says I'm a child of God. I know I'm a friend of God. I know that the Bible says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that. And, and because it's God's word, I believe it, but I'm not accepting it for me. See, we, cut, we, we know that, hey, we know God. You, we know that you said this. We're not saying that you didn't say it. And we believe it because it's God's word, but I don't really think that you know who I am. I really don't know that you know all of the things. Here's the deal. God knows. All right? And yet he still, went to the, he still sent his son to the cross for you. He knows. So you can know God's word in your head and believe it in your heart, but if you don't put it into practice daily, it's not of value to you. So many of us do not have this as a value to ourselves. We we know what it says. We could even quote it. We probably even can say where it's from. We, 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 we put it in our head, we put it in our heart, but we don't put it into practice. Well, what does the Bible say about faith? Faith without deeds is what? Dead. It's not real. So guys, I'm wanting you to say, hey, I need to take my knowledge of God's word, and I need to take my belief that God is true at his word, but I need to stand on that. I need to live that. I need to accept it. And you may have to remind yourself what God said about you every day until you finally get it through your thick skull. Right? Because some of us have pretty thick skulls in this room. Just ask your spouse. You don't believe me. So, listen to me on this, though. If you don't put God's truth about you into practice daily, your identity will be secured in two things, affirmation from yourself and in the approval of others. You guys hear me on this, right? What happens is this. If you don't believe God and what he says about you, Then, what you will do is you will then build your identity on what other people say about you or how you feel about yourself. You can't have it both ways. You can't, hey, God, I want my identity to be secured in what you say about me and care about what everybody else in the world says. But isn't it easy for us to get stuck in the approval of others? How many of you really like to be liked? Right? Any of you that has that outgoing personality, you want to be liked. I want to be here's the deal. As a pastor, I like high approval ratings. I like that. But if I build my identity on what everybody likes, then I'm less concerned on what God likes and what God wants. And here's the most dangerous part: is if you are left to yourself and you cut God out of the equation and what he thinks about you and you cut out other people who are building you up, and you're left by yourself, you could pretty soon create a pretty poor self-image of yourself, can't you? See, what I'm wanting us to come to a point of is taking God at His word. Stop taking your word about yourself and put God's word above your own word. Right? Come on now, right? That's some good stuff right there. That'll preach. Put God's word over your word, right? I mean, how many times have I been, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm too fat. I'm too this. I'm too that. And we we just we just Here's the deal. God created you. You're wonderfully made. Accept it. Accept it. So all of your insecurities come from either how you feel about yourself or how you perceive. Everybody say the word perceive. perceive. See, here's the deal. is So many people like, well, they don't like me. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, you stay right there. So do you not like that person? Oh, no, I think that they're great. No, they don't. See, what we do is we have such, because we have a bad perception of ourselves. We think everyone else feels the same. You allow your word to trump everyone else's word, and you allow your word to trump God's word. That's why we keep finding ourselves coping with alcohol and drugs and food and and fantasy living and all of these other things, we find ourselves trying to withdraw from our life because we're not happy with ourselves because we believed us at our own word about ourselves. God's word trumps everything. So... What if we built our identity on the security in God's word? Wouldn't that be a matter? Instead of how I feel about myself, I take God at his word. What if I took God at his word instead of how I think other people see me? What if I just stood on God's word? So what I want to do today, okay, so what I want to do is I want to teach you about who God is if I can know who God is just in in what we're going to look at is is seven attributes of God just seven of his hundreds of them we're just going to look at seven we're going to go pretty quickly through this but here's what I want you to do if I could just take these seven attributes I could begin to find ways that his attribute overcomes my insecurity his security and God knowing who do you think God knows who he is He knows that he's sovereign. God's not like, well, am I sovereign today or is that tomorrow? Which day am I on call? God is sovereign and he is secure in his sovereignty. Therefore, I can be secure in his sovereignty. When we figure this out, it can be a life changer so that we quit playing the victim card all the time. You see, if I keep saying, oh man, I'm a mess and God doesn't love me or no one loves me and we keep playing the victim card, you're never going to live the life that God has chosen for you. And you miss out. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he, he just like, I, I'm you're fine. You, no, it's, it means that you keep putting yourself in a ditch. God's not putting you in the ditch. You're putting yourself in a ditch. You keep digging the hole and jumping in it. God's not shoving you in a hole. He's saying, get out of the hole. Quit playing in the mud. I got plans for you. So, God is sovereign. It is the. It, this is the... His sovereignty is the most central attribute of God. It's his most central thing. And out of his sovereignty, everything else come out of. Sovereignty means this. He is the king. Okay, when you think of sovereignty, you think king of all kings, lord of all lords. That's who he is. He is never not in control. There's never a time where God's like, oh, whoops. I probably should have done that. Mm." See, sovereignty was one of the most powerful attributes that helped me understand when my son got sick. When he got sick and he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, I was surprised. But you know who wasn't surprised? God. Because he's sovereign. He's not like, whoops, I stopped looking for just a moment. How did that happen? God is never not in control. Do you guys understand? He's never not in control. God's in control. So, so if I was going to defeat an insecurity, when my life feels out of control, I then can surrender my life to the one who is in control. Isn't that amazing just to think about, like, man, when I feel like I'm a, this is out of control, Stop. Stop overreacting. Stop flipping out. And surrender your life to the one who's in control. God, here it is. I don't, know, I don't know what I'm doing. Here you go. Here's the mess, right? Just, here it is. In Revelation, God says this, it is done. I love this. It is done. Finished, right? I am the Alpha and Omega beginning and end. He's saying, hey, I created everything and I'm gonna end everything. I was in the beginning and I'm in the end. That's what a God is. If God is God, he has to be alpha. He has to be the top dog. He has to be the alpha. He has to be the beginning. He has to be the end. He says, I will give the fountain of water of life freely to those who thirst.'" who he who he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son now listen but the cowardly unbelieving abominable murderers sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death wait does this sound like someone who's not in control does this look like I'm like I don't know what's going to happen to you. I can only help this person. What God is saying is I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I'm the creator and I'm the judge. I'm going to give heaven to the ones who believe in me and those who don't, they get hell. He's not saying, "Hey, I'm in control of the good guys and the devil gets the bad guys." God is in control. He's in control of both destinations because he's the judge. He doesn't just say, hey, all Christians, come over here. I don't know what's going to happen to everybody else because then he's not sovereign. He says, no, I know exactly what's going to happen. You have a choice. You can follow me or you can follow the world. You can follow the world straight into the pit of hell. I don't want you to, but you can. Or you can believe in me and follow me and I'm going to give you living water. The choice is yours. Now we're going to look at Psalm 139. I color coded it for you. You're welcome. Um, Psalm 139 is one of the most powerful passages in all of the Bible when it's dealing with our identity. I, I love this passage. David starts off and he says, You have searched me. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Because he's all-knowing. You see, God is all-knowing. He's sovereign and in control, and he knows everything. There's nothing that God doesn't know. Therefore, when you don't know what to do, Seek the one who does. You see, when, when life gets confusing, you're like, I don't know what to do. Don't go to Facebook. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry's going to tell you what to do, and they don't know. It's easy for me to reply and say, hey, here's what I think you should do. No, there's someone who already knows what you need to do. Go to him. Man, we are so quick, we get, and and here's our problem is that we go into, like, I'm going to pray. I'm going to get God's advice on this. We pray for about 30 seconds, and then we get our phones out, and we go to Facebook. Here's all my problems. Here's what's going on in my life. Here's what, and then everybody else out there, they don't know the situation. And they give you from what their perception of what your situation is. Half the time I see something, I'm like, that is not even what this person is talking about. You're encouraging this behavior? It's really hard for me to comment on a lot of things because I'm like, That's, you're just playing the victim card. You need to stop. You're just complaining. And then everybody's like, oh, you're so right. Oh, I feel so bad for you. Stop. I don't know what to do with my life. Well, don't go to Facebook. They don't know anything. Haven't we realized that by now? You know why they don't know anything? Because we're the ones on it. And we don't even know what we're doing with our own life. Right? I don't know what I'm doing. Right, let me tell you what to do, though. Right? I don't want that person. If you don't know what you're doing in your life, don't tell me how to do my life. But there is one who does know. And when I don't know, I go to him. Here's what Hebrews 4. I love this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. We do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our, empathize with our weakness. So God understands. What it's saying is this. God understands your weakness. He knows what your struggle is. He understands. He, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. So here's the deal. Whatever temptation you're struggling with, Jesus already struggled with it, and he won. So if you're like, I don't know how to fix this, he does because he's already overcame it. If you don't think that Jesus overcame the temptation of lost men... Are you kidding me? Prostitution was everywhere then. That was like the thing. He already knows how to overcome that. He already did. And he understands how hard it is on you. So then let us... Then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you're in need and you don't know what to do, come boldly to God. I don't know what to do and you do. Help me. Second part of this passage is you him me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. The word hem here is or you may in your translation have hedged. What it means is that God has encircled. So what this is is that you hem pen me. So this in this part of the passage I love this this word is an aggressive military strategy and what it means is this. You're like a little tiny town and God has built a fortress around you. He is The fortress. Have you ever read some of those Psalms where, like, you are my fortress, you are my shield? That's what hem means. And it's it's the same way within Job, when the devil went up to God and said, Well, I would like to attack Job, but I can't get to him because you have a hedge of protection around him. So here's the deal: we're talking about an all-powerful God. There is nothing impossible to God. Therefore, when life feels, you see the word feels. Feels impossible, I can call on the God who says, In your weakness I am made strong. And in that passage, it's right here. God says to uh, Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see that? How often do we feel weak? We feel broken. We feel, I don't know what to do. My life is broken. I, I don't, and, and, and so here's the deal is we start thinking, there's only one, God's the only one who can get me out of this mess. Well, good. Finally, you come to the, when you come to the end of you, that's typically when you find God. When you come to the end of yourself, that's when you really can start finding God we got to remove all pride. And then Paul replies, that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. (laughs) Sounds just like Paul, too, doesn't it, in the Bible? He's like, I delight in it. I delight in weakness. I delight. How many of you delight in insults? Sometimes, and that's why I spend so little time on Facebook, because it's so easy. You know, when you follow the Lord, it's so easy to... To, to, to find yourself under attack and all these different things. And, and then what happens is the flesh side of you says, hey, you know what? I got some sarcasm for you. You know, let me shoot back, right? And the thing is, is that here's what Paul says. You know, I delight in insults. Josh, if I insulted you right now, would you delight in that? <laughs> you uh, uh, put you on the spot i mean here's the thing is that most of us do not delight in that but paul's taking a different perspective of it he goes listen did you know that in matthew five eleven it says blessed are those who are insulted for my name's sake somebody insults you you just got blessed thank you i guess So here's the deal is, is he says, man, I delight in weakness, insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, because for, that word for means because, for when I am weak, Then I am strong. Not because he's strong, but because God became strong in him. God took over. God, I'm being insulted. God, I'm under hardship. God, I don't know what to do. God, I can't pay my bills. God, I can't do. God, I can't. I can't. And he goes, finally, I know you can't. You see, when we finally realize I can't, then I begin to lean into the one who can Matthew 19, 26, Jesus replied to his disciples. He goes, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Isn't that beautiful? Let me look, go to the third one here. He goes, where can I go from your spirit? <laughs> where can I flee? Ask, ask Jonah, right? Jonah tried to run away from God. It did not work. He got eaten by a fish. I'm just saying if you, get, if you try to run away from God, just don't go near the water. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go and make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. You see, God is all present. God is always there. When you feel rejected, some of you in this room feel like, No one likes you. You don't have friends. I can promise you, you always have one friend. You may have no friends of an earthly state. I can promise you, you have one. God is always there. If you feel rejected and alone, remember God promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you. Check this out. Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself... You see that? The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. There's a lot of times in our life where we feel abandoned. And maybe some earthly person did abandon you. But God did not abandon you. God has never left you. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. This is an interesting thing. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. So he's saying, I'm in the night. I'm in the darkness. My my life is caved in, and I'm surrounded by darkness. But even to God, darkness isn't dark. It's amazing how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So even when we're in dark, we're not in the dark if we're in him. Right? You see this? This is where I want to talk about his holiness. Holy literally means to be set apart. God is holy the bible actually says that he is holy 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 the three the stating of it three times in a row means that it is so it's a complete number three and seven are complete hebrew numbers so what this means is this is that that his holiness is perfect it's complete doesn't lack anything he's consecrated he's dedicated he's set apart so when i feel stuck in the world i can reach out to the god who's set apart Have you ever gotten to a place in your life and you're like, I am stuck, and it's usually I'm stuck in sin, right? I'm stuck in sin, and I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to get out of it. I'm just held. I'm stuck. I'm enslaved to it, and here's the deal. God is set apart from that. And if he is sovereign and in control and all powerful, do you not think that he doesn't have the power and the strength and the wisdom to help pull you out of that and to put your feet on solid ground? Right? You see, a lot of times we forget that he's a holy. He says, I don't want you stuck in sin. Guess what? Neither do you. There's not one of you here today I would believe in a moment wants to keep doing drugs or keep getting drunk or keep overeating or keep being addicted to what you're addicted to or, or whatever it is. Do you really want to be stuck in that? The answer would be no, I don't want to be stuck, but I am. But you don't have to be. And that's the point. I need to find all of my identity and security in who God is and trust him to pull me out of this. Because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever. Everybody say once and forever. Once and forever. Once and forever. Once and forever. I like that. Once and forever to save those who come to God through him. His, he is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. See, I'm stained, but then he wipes away. He says, I'll make you, though your sin as red as scarlet, I will make you whiter than snow. He's unstained and he knows how to make me unstained. He has been set apart from sinners, and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. If he knows how to do that. And he's all powerful. Don't you think that he can help you do that too? Isn't it amazing? For you created. This is my favorite part of the whole psalm. For you created my inmost being. Did you know that God created you? He didn't just create Adam and Eve and say good luck. Go. Go. See, here's what's beautiful about the Bible. If I'm going to say God's word trumps everything, some of you need to get your Bibles out and highlight this so that you never forget it. For you created who? God. God created my inmost being. He knit me together in my mother's womb. That means he took his time. You're not a mistake. He took his time and he knit you together in your mother's womb. He didn't just like, ah, good luck. That's not what God did. He says, I praise you because I am what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. You are wonderfully made. Accept it. Quit telling yourself that you're not wonderfully made. Quit telling yourself you're not good enough. Quit telling yourself the lie of Satan. Quit. Look at this: Your works are wonderful. You see the connection? I am fearfully and what? Wonderfully made? Your works are wonderful. Okay, So here's an exercise. Most of you spend so much time telling yourself that you don't like yourself, that you're not pretty enough, you're not this enough, you're not this enough. So I want everybody to repeat after me. I'm going to say the whole statement. I'm going to say, "I am wonderful," and then you're going to say it. "I am wonderful." Now, what if you got up every day and you started reminding yourself who God has, what he's already said about you? Would it maybe change the way you treat yourself? Maybe. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows your last day before your first day ever started. God knew the exact day he was going to take my son home. I didn't. He did. Because he's sovereign. He's all-knowing. And that was my son's home going I cry because I miss him. I don't cry for him. He's way better off. He's creator. He created you. Therefore, when you feel like you're a mistake, you remember God doesn't make mistakes. Isn't that amazing? Genesis one twenty seven. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said, "Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. And the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground." That's why I hunt, just to let you know, because God told me to. So, um, here's the deal. God created you. He didn't just create Adam and Eve. He's a part of your very being. He knew you before the creation of the world. In fact, uh, Ephesians 2:10, uh, you are, we are His, we are His workmanship created in Christ to do good works, which was prepared beforehand. God created already a plan for your life and things He wanted you to do in your life, before you were ever born. And the last piece of this is this: if only God... Would you slay the wicked away from me? You who are bloodthirsty, they uh, speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. Does that sound like Jesus? (laughs) I count them as enemies. Listen to this, verse 23. Search me, O God. See, do you remember when, when I started thinking about this, earlier in the psalm, David was saying, oh God, you have a hedge around me and, 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 and you are going before me and after me. And now he's like, now I'm surrounded by adversaries. They're using your name. I want them to be away from me. But then verse 23 just kind of stands out. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting see what does he go back to he's like am i supposed to hate these guys or am i not i i hate them but am i supposed to and and all of a sudden you start looking at it now it kind of makes sense god look at my anxious thoughts have you ever gotten to a place where you're like god i love everybody but i can't stand that person come on you're laughing because it's true like, it might be your neighbor, you know? <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, I love everybody on my street except for that one. They probably feel the same way about you. But here's the thing. Um, sometimes we're like, man, I'm doing really good in 90% or 99%, but God, this one little area of my life. And then what does David come back to? God, search me. Because my, my, my feelings and my thoughts and my heart can be deceiving me. It could be leading me down a road. Because you know what? Somebody, somebody attacks. You know, like, if somebody attacks me, my wife is ready to burn somebody's house down. Like, I'm just warning you, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, and then the thing is, the same way, right? I may say this to you, but no one else gets to, you know? I mean, so, so here's the thing is that sometimes we, we can lose sight. Of who God is. But I want you to know something about God. He's never changing. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. I don't have to worry about his, his, him, him and who he is changing. God doesn't change. My circumstances change. But God doesn't change. When my life feels like it's changing all around me, I can rest in the God who never changes. And you know what? He doesn't ever change how he feels about you. In Romans chapter 8, it even says, What can separate me from the love of God? And the answer is nothing. Life can't separate you from his, his love. Death can't. Angels can't. Demons can't. Nothing in this world can separate you from his love. See, that's never changing. His love for you never changes. So here's the deal. I, I like to say this, and I like this. I hope you memorize it one of these days. I, No matter what I do, God's not going to love me more. So I could preach every single moment of every single day, and he's not going to love me more. And I could walk away right now. I could shut this thing. I could walk out, and I could curse the church and curse everything and walk out the door and say, I quit, and God won't love me less. Why? Because his love's already perfect just like you love your children whether they're doing the right thing or not the right thing you love them anyways and his love is even better than my love he's never going to stop caring about you and he's never going to stop loving you and he's never going to stop chasing you psalm 119 11, i have taken your unchanging word as an eternal heritage so what else doesn't change god's word So when it says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, it's never going to change. Come on now, right? Everything that God has ever said about you is never going to change. He's not going to take out of the Bible, I chose you. I redeemed you. You are a child of God. He's not going to take it out. It's unchanging. That's my heritage. I get to inherit an unchanging word from an unchanging God like in Malachi 3. I, the Lord, do not change. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Hebrews 13 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same God. He doesn't change. So when He says He's all powerful, He's not all powerful only on a Sunday during this little time that we have. He's all powerful 24 7, seven days a week. Twelve months a year, three hundred and sixty-five days in a year. So where do we go from here? This is where we're gonna. This is where we end. Coming right back to those passages. Search me. So here's what I want us to do. I want to encourage you to go back and maybe make some notes at some point about these different attributes so that you can really get familiar with who God is and understand that his strengths overcome all of my weaknesses. But today, I want us to ask this of God. Search me. I want you to let God in. Not just a piece of your life. We have such a habit of saying, God, I'm going to give you most of my life. I'm saying I want you to give God your entire. God, you have the basement and the attic. You got everything that's in my closet. Now, God, I'm given search me. Know me. Test me. See where my anxious thoughts are coming from. See if there's anything offensive in me. And lead me. With every head bowed and every eye closed. That's our question. We're going to bring the lights down in here a little bit. And I just want you to ask this, this, this verse. God, search me. When's the last time you said, God, search me? See if there's anything that's in me right now that doesn't belong. Test my anxious thoughts. Lead me in the ways of everlasting. We may be in a place where we need to give our life to Jesus Christ. maybe we're in a place where we know a lot about god but we've never placed our faith in him we know that faith is different than just knowing stuff a lot of people could tell me all kinds of verses in the bible they could read to me and quote to me john 3 16 and they they can say well yeah i believe that jesus died on the cross well who doesn't it's a historical fact well, I believe that the, the, the tomb was empty. That's another historical fact. But have you made him the Lord of your life? See, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There's a lot of people who know a lot about God, but they have not made him the Lord of their life. So if you need to make the Lord of your life, if you need to make Him the Lord of your life, where your heads are down and eyes are closed, is there anyone here today who says, you know what, I know a lot about God and I know a lot about the Bible, but I have never made Him the Lord of my life. Is that anybody here today? And you want to, slip your hand up in the air. If this is the day you say, I want to today make Him the Lord of my life. every head bowed, every eye closed. If you got your hand up in the air, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Everyone else is going to pray. We're all going to pray together. Everybody, we're going to pray together out loud. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for all of our sin. I am a sinner. And I need your help. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you to come in and be the Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. You don't need to do this every week. This isn't something that you repeat. If you ask Him to come into your life, He's coming into your life. He's not going to to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. So for those of you who ask the Lord to come into your life, I'm just going to ask you to come forward right now. The Bible says that if you profess Him before others, He will profess you before His Father. So come on up and Stand in front of your family. Come on up and stand right here in front of your family. See, when you look out, these are your brothers and your sisters. So here's something, the reason why I like to bring people in the front, one of the reasons is that I need you to see what they look like, because you all did the same thing at one point in your life, asking the Lord to come in, and you know how hard it is, you know how the devil works on us the moment we walk out of these doors, and so now you know the face of the ones you're praying for this week. You're praying that the Lord will bring them right back here next week. And you're looking for them next week to give them that hug that they need. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys so much. I'm going to be here. And if you guys, any of you guys need to visit a few moments after the service, Pastor Paul and myself will be available to answer any and more questions. But now I want you to know that the altar is open. And maybe there's some things that we need to lay down at this altar. Maybe there's some stuff, there's some anxieties that we've been carrying on. Maybe we've been carrying some lies. Maybe we've been carrying some lies that the devil has been selling us for years. So right now this altar is open. You need to come and lay some things down. Come and lay it down. But what our goal is is that when we walk out of this room, we're going to take God at His word and we're not coming back to this place. We're not coming back to the place of believing that we're not good enough, that we're unworthy. No, we're leaving that here. Place your fears of failure at the altar today. If you have the fear of failure, put it down. If you feel like you're going to let everyone down, you put it down. Put whatever fear, whatever anxiety... Whatever insecurity you have, come lay it down and you leave it here and you stand on God's word and who he is.